Hey, this is Josh Davis. I'm the pastor at Grace Point Fellowship, and this is our podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so we can get you these messages every single week. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. I always love uh, this comment, and I use it a lot, that I love a good joke when I steal one. (laughs) Pastor Dave stole my joke, that I will preach for food. So, but it's an honor to, to stand behind the pulpit for you this morning, and thank you for the opportunity, Pastor Josh and Dave and Grace Point. Uh, I love Grace Point. I love that we still have a partnership with, with Grace Point, and they were big sponsors in our festival this year. Our festival, it was great. It was wonderful. Uh, it was hot. Um, I will tell you this, uh, my expectations, um, um, we, we did a lot of work. We have amazing staff, amazing staff of people and volunteers who work so hard and diligently out there in the sun putting this thing together. And I said the other day to somebody, you know, it, it really didn't meet my expectations. And then I was stopped going, you know what? Scratch that. We might have not met our expectations financially to raise some funding, but I will tell you this, it exceeded our expectations when people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior through it, that all our expectations are met. And I will tell you, I was, I was battered. I, I just felt defeated that uh, Saturday night when I went home. And then I got a wonderful text from Carolyn. I know she's here. Carolyn. Carolyn sent me a text. And all my perspective changed. She said this, my friend Sherry gave her heart to the Lord today. Sherry's the one getting baptized today after the second service. So I got a full day today because as soon as the service is over here, I book it out for Jacksonville Presbyterian. Their church has asked me to do a presentation on suicide prevention. Uh, We've had some overdoses here in the community lately and a couple suicides. And so uh, it has affected uh, their church. It affects families. uh, So they've asked me to come. So pray for that and for their church. Uh, I'm going to be out there this afternoon uh, doing a workshop on that. So full day of uh, of God's Word. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans. I'm going to start there. Romans Uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and as you turn there, I had the wonderful privilege when I was going to Bible college to do an internship at Open Bible Church there on Table Rock. Pastor Virgil Harsh was the pastor at the time, and as I started working there, I got saved under that ministry my junior year in high school, and started working the ministry, and I I just started volunteering for everything. I volunteered as a lifeguard at summer camp, and I didn't even know how to swim. I mean, I just wanted to be a part of serving, right? I remember I stood next to Kevin Dixon. I said, dude, I don't know how to swim, so stay with me. But, and it wasn't a pool, folks. This was the Union Creek River. Anyway, nobody died. It's all good. Because we prayed before they got in the water, saying, hey, listen, if you don't know the Lord, you may want to, because I don't know how to swim. Anyway, so in this internship credit that I had there at the Open Bible Church, I was the bus ministry director in Children's Church. We used to bring in 600 kids every weekend. It was an amazing church, right? And one of my responsibilities was the bus ministry. And we went from, from Central Point. Carla was a bus pastor there. She didn't drive the bus, but she was one of our bus leaders. And she would bring in 60 kids every weekend. Amazing ministry, right? And so... 
This ministry also had lost and found department. We did promotions constantly to bring the kids in, right? And so we had a bunch of clothing from all these buses and all these kids. And I thought the great idea, why not have a clothing, come back and get your kids clothing Sunday, right? It got the parents there and then they got saved, see? Smart, right? And so the parents would come, they picked through the clothes and then the rest of the clothes, we would donate them to, to, to places here in locally, right? Well, I was digging through the clothes and I found a members-only jacket. Do you remember those? Don Johnson, Miami Vice, right? So I put it on, it fit perfectly, right? Put the hands in the pocket, do a little male modeling going, right? So I asked, did you, was that you laughing there, Tosh? So, so I'm doing a little male modeling, and so I asked the, the youth pastor, I said, can I have this coat? He goes, yeah, sure. So I wore it everywhere, man. It was awesome. Even made my goatee look better. And my mullet. Party in the back, business in the front. So I'd be strucking around with this members-only jacket, right? Well, in this internship, Mark's office was located upstairs, off the upstairs sanctuary, and his closet just happened to be part of the attic structure. And so as we were getting ready things for summer camp and everything, we noticed that we had a mouse problem. So this became a game to us. So we set out all these traps, right? And every time we caught one, we had a rubber stamp with a picture of a mouse on it. We thought we were the Red Baron, right? And so we take that stamp and we would stamp the inside of the closet door. Right now we were like 32, 33 kills, right? It was wonderful. Right? So one day I got there late to work. I walked in, Mark was there, the other intern guy was there, Bob, and I said, did we get any? He goes, nope, got struck out. I said, oh, bummer. So we sat down and started working on the camp. Then my youth pastor says, hey, Doug, Bob's never seen that coat that you have. Why'd you model it for him? So, of course. So I put it on, sleeves up, had that, remember that little tag? Had the little tag. Member only thing. So I'm putting it on, and all of a sudden, I put my hands in the pocket. And I felt something in my pockets. Instead of just pulling it out, I decided to squeeze them to see if I could figure out what they were. Discernment had not yet hit my spirit, and I kept squeezing It's almost like a, a stress release toy, right? It had a little bounce back. You getting the visual now? But it had fur on it, and I couldn't understand. And then I realized what it was. I ripped off that jacket, ran down and washed my hands with bleach. Of course, he had a, an awesome time laughing. But as I was preparing this message, that story came to my mind because isn't it funny but unfortunately, this is what's happening in our faith community. People are saying they are members, but yet underneath their clothing, a knowledge of God, there's only but death and decay. See where I'm going with this, folks? Serving God shouldn't just be in member only or name only. Because if we're wearing the cloak of idolatry and customs of this world more than serving and worshiping God, then these clothing, these garments of idolatry 
will lead to nothing more than death and decay. And this is what we read in Romans 1.26, For this cause God gave, up, gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into which is against the nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then Paul goes on to explain all the types of behaviors, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, whispering, debate, murder, envy, proud, boastful, despiteful, inventor of evil things, and he goes on and on. And he says this in verse 31, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful, Verse 32, knowing the judgment of God, in other words, knowing the law of God, knowing the moral compass, which is the Ten Commandments, they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them doing. This is the same Apostle Paul who wrote in the book of Romans 1.18, says this, this ungodly and wicked, the ungodly and wicked will suppress the truth by their own wickedness. That word reprobate comes from the Greek word, which means atakomos. Now watch this. So he says he gives them over to a reprobate mind. What does that mean? He gives them over to their natural affections, the affections that they have for this world and, and the things in this world. Dave pro, uh, uh, pointed out last week about the code of our conduct in Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if they're not going to re renew their mind, he gives them over to a reprobate mind. And the word reprobate actually comes from the Greek word, which means this, one which does not prove himself to be such as he ought to be. In other words, what does that mean, Pastor Doug? It means this. You cannot just say you believe in God. Your actions have to speak that you believe in God. Paul also writes to Titus. In Titus 1.16, he says, They profess they know God, but in, the, in their works they deny Him being disobedient. There are many who say they are believers and wear garments of identification and of members only, but in all reality, underneath the garments of idolatry, underneath the garments of cultural conformity, underneath the garments of compromising for the sake of popular opinion, there's nothing more than death and decay. A.W. Tozer once wrote, the germination of all idolatry is rooted in thy diluted understanding of God. Here's what he says, we undervalue his worthiness. We undervalue and dismiss His holiness. We disregard His love and dilute the truth and we forget His jealousy. We then begin to erect idols as our affection drifts away from the exclusive worship that God requires. Just recently, a pastor in a local church in Minnesota led her church in prayer, and she said this, I'm reading it verbatim. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints, as numerous, creative, as resilient, at patches on a quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling of each other and that love is love and love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe in the glorious God. Help my unbelief. Now, you might think this is a liberal church, but folks, this is a Lutheran church in Minnesota. And if you know anything about the history of the Lutheran church, it started in the 16th century by a man named Martin Luther who broke himself away from the Catholicism, from the Catholic Church, and wrote an article called the 95 Thesis. In that article, he says this, that one does not receive forgiveness of their sins through offering of works and through giving. He later followed up that writing with a book entitled Sermon on Self-Indulgences and Grace, which he stresses, watch this, making amends by offering good deeds as instructed by a priest does not forgive a person's sins. It is only, he says, it is only through the falling on one's person's needs, through the brokenness of one man's heart, through the confession of one man's lips, that salvation is received. The preacher heard silence, so he kept on preaching. Don't get me wrong, folks. I have a lot of friends in the Catholic Church. I have a lot of friends that are spirit-filled, saved to the bone, that attend the Catholic Church. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying what we need to understand is, in our society, what is happening today is there is a culture that's being created, and you see it on bumper stickers today, coexist. And what that means is that there's many pathways to heaven. No, Jesus himself said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter. And basically what Jesus was saying, my mom is not the advocate to the Father, I am. Whew. Exodus 20, verse 2 says this, I, Jehovah thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. I love this scripture. As I study it, a little nugget of revelation came to my forefront. Here's what it is. Do you realize when God etched his finger, took his finger and etched into stone I am Jehovah. You know what he was saying there? Because that is a verb that comes from the Hebrew word meaning, I am the becoming one. 
Thou shall not have any other gods before me. Thou shall not make any graven image. What is God saying to his people in the first two commandments? He's saying this. I want to be appealing to you. I want to be the becoming one to you. I want you to look upon me and say, that is good. I want to serve him. That's the love of God telling his people, I am the one that you need in life. He desires an intimate relationship with his people. And he's saying, clothe me, put me on. Why? Because he wants to be exclusive with you. And furthermore, I will tell you this, he doesn't want to be in connection with something else that you're putting your affection in. So to say, no other gods, he doesn't want anything in the presence of him. He's a jealous God. And he wants your attention. My pastor once said this about idolatry. He said, Doug, think this for a second. Now, he said, listen, there are enjoyments in life, which is great. I like good times too. But he said this, anything that takes your time, your attention, or allegiance more than God could be an idol. John Piper said this, it starts in the heart, craving and wanting and enjoying, being satisfied by anything that you treasure more than God. Now turn with me over to the book of Exodus chapter 32. Now with that being the foundation of the message, I want to give you three reasons or three situations how people can develop modern day idols We don't put a gold statue of Pastor Josh in the foyer, right? But today, we do kneel before idols. We do take our time, our attention, our allegiance, sometimes before God. And I got spanked this last few weeks as I prepared this message. Because here's the message I got. Sometimes we become so busy at doing good, we neglect our personal time with God. And I heard it again. If Satan can't cause you to sin, Doug, he'll settle for your busyness. But I'm doing good for you. No, he wants my undevoted time and attention and his allegiance to him. Exodus 32, verse 1. I'm going to give you three things. I want you to jot these down and remember these things because this is really, really good. Well, I hope it's good. Exodus 32.1, Now when the people saw Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us the gods that shall go before us. For as far as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Here's the first reason or the underlining cause that may create idols in our life, if we allow it. Number one is this, the delay. When God doesn't seem to answer your prayer on time. Don't you hate that? Waiting on God. This was the Israelites were doing. They were going, hey, God, hey, Aaron, it's been 40 days. And they must have looked upon the mountain, saw the fire up there going, 
He's dead. But delays have that ability. Ever get impatient with God? Okay, a couple people. We have a lying support group after church today. (laughs) Ever lose hope when you see your situation not improving in your life? Come on, church. Ever give up something to God in prayer only to take it back? Moses has been up on the mountain 40 days. And how many times have we gotten ourselves in trouble by heading, getting ahead of God's timetable? When everything looks uncertain in our life, there's one thing that is always certain. God is on the throne. Chill out. Right? Listen, church. Delays cause us to fixate on the now. Instead of the wonderful process that is incurring in our spiritual life and the reason and the purpose for the delay. Perhaps God just wants a little bit more time with you in prayer. Well, God, I don't see you working on this thing. Trust me, God does things behind the curtain that you cannot even see. God will send people... God will put that person in someone else's path to speak your prayer over them. God is a big God. But what do we do as children of Israel? What do we do as children? We get impatient. And so therefore, when we get impatient, we take back our prayers and start using modern-day idolatry of pleasure, of security, of tangible things that we can bring in so it can help me with my delay. See what I mean? You know where I'm going with this? It could be anything. And God's going, the reason for the delay was not so you could find another modern-day idol to put in your life. The reason for the delay is, I want to spend time with you. See what I mean? Israel became uncomfortable for the delay. They felt insecure, unsettled. They couldn't understand the reason for the delay. So they stumbled. Listen, church, handling God's delay is a good measure of our spiritual maturity. But if we allow ourselves to drift into modern-day idols, we react poorly. However, church, if we deepen our perseverance in following God and submitting to His Word and depending on Him, we will grow spiritually. Number two, the second thing that causes us leading into modern-day idolatry is the demand or popular opinion. Popular opinion leads us into modern-day idolatry. Look at verse 1. And the people gathered together. In other words, the impulse of conformity. Do you know that today the Lutheran church is going through a split and soon to follow the Presbyterian denomination? All because of cultural conformity. Church, listen. God called us to go and make disciples. God did not call us to tell other people about our church. Stay with me. The Bible says that people overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Y'all getting this? 
So if I want to see someone come to know the Lord, I don't go to them and say, let me tell you about Grace Point. It's a wonderful church. Here's all the programs. No, God didn't tell us to do that. God says, go and make disciples. Here's how you make a disciple. Can I tell you what Jesus Christ has done in my life? Can I tell you what God has took me out of? How God has reached into the muck and mire of my alcoholism and set me upon the rock? Can I tell you about the Jesus I know? And as they connect on that point of the word of your testimony and by the blood of the Lamb, this is then you say, and by the way, there's a church I attend that preaches that. Come with me. Conformity. We see it today. So what did Aaron do? The people go to Aaron, say, make us a golden idol. So Aaron goes, okay. Bring me your gold. Give me your earrings. So he melts it down and he fashions it and he creates it. This wasn't spirit inspired. This was sin inspired. And he creates this golden image, this this golden calf. And he sets it before Israel and he says this, this is your God. Now watch this church because there's a lesson to learn here regarding the delays and the demand from popular culture that's happening in our society today. Don't bend, don't break, and do not bow down to the culture that's happening in our society today. Here's why the children of Israel wanted something from Aaron. Because when Aaron took the gold and he began to fashion it and engraved it, he set it before. Now watch this. You don't know why they worshiped it. You know why Aaron created the golden calf? Ready for this? Because it was the same image that they had when they were in Egypt. In other words, folks, their familiarity to that idol came back to the forefront of their everyday life and gave them comfort. Why? Because we always return back to the familiar. I did it when I was in alcoholism. Couldn't handle the stress and things of this world and the financial things going through. So I ran back to the familiar. That's a modern day idol, folks. I just want to encourage you, if you're running back to the familiar more than running to the presence of God, it could be an idol. I don't say this to make you feel down. I say this because your God wants an intimate relationship with you. And how do you think he feels when you run to someone else's affection when he's saying, run to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want to know real rest? Run to God. You know what the biggest problem in the church today is? You know what the biggest problem in the church today is? Ready for this? Discernment. John MacArthur says this, to exercise discernment is at the very heart of Christian living because Christian living is the reflection of Christian thinking and Christian thinking must be attached to sound doctrine and that's where discernment begins. My question is this, where was the leadership in Aaron? Because Aaron didn't discern what the children of Israel were doing. 
And certainly the children of Israel didn't discern by worshiping a familiar golden statue. Where was Aaron? Aaron should have stood up and say, no, this is idolatry. This is wrong. But what's happening in our culture today? Try standing up to the culture of this world and we will be labeled as fascists or, or Christian radicals. Be ready, folks. It's coming. If it's not already here. I wrote this down, and I told the first service, I'm not sure if I should read it, but I said, nah, what the heck. Here it is, ready? Because you know me, I don't like to mix words. Because I'll always say, do you want a fluffy message or do you want the truth? Truth? Here it goes, ready? We will sacrifice our own resources to serve our tangible idols today. We will pour money in things of this world to give us pleasure and comfort and security. When God is saying, if you come to me in my presence, you wouldn't need those tangible things in your life. And what we are seeing today in our leadership across this land are powerless pulpits, powerless pulpits that are occupied by powerless pastors which are producing powerless people. When a church in South Carolina and a church in Atlanta are saying, unhitch your doctrine to the Old Testament, something's wrong. When a South Carolina pastor takes the Ten Commandments and flips them into the Ten Promises of God, something's wrong. These are Ten Commandments, the moral compass of our behavior. No, wait, 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 wait. didn't Jesus say... There's a new commandment? Yes, the new commandment is that you love one another as you love me. But Jesus says in the book of Matthew, he wasn't coming to demolish the law or that moral compass. He came to fulfill the law to make it complete. Listen, church, you cannot love your neighbor without a moral compass of your behavior. Doug chapter 11, verse 7. You cannot love your neighbor without a moral compass. We need a moral compass today because idols alter our perspective and idols create the narrative which drives our behavior. The last thing, very quickly, number three, the direction and the decision. Verse six, they rose up early to play. The Bible says they rose up early to play, eating and drinking and drunkenness and sexual immorality. (laughs) Isn't it funny that they will rise up early to worship their idols, but they can't seem to get out of bed for church? And the pastor moved on. See, folks, listen, two months earlier, they heard the thundering voice of God from heaven telling the Israelites, trust me, I got this. But what did the Israelites do? They turned to self-indulgences. They turned to self, everything about self. Do you hear the guy that took a selfie in the shower? Hear about that? A guy took a selfie in the shower. And now he has self-esteem issues. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Come on. Now, for those who aren't clapping, you'll get it on the way home. 
but they turned to what was influencing them. Why? Because it feed itself. So look what happens. I'm going to get closing with this. In Exodus 32, 15 and 18, we see Moses hearing the people in the camp. As they started off down the mountain, they heard singing. Folks, these were wild parties in front of this golden calf. There were orgies. There was sexual immorality. There was drunkenness. It was, it was debauchery. And as they came off the mountain, Joshua turns to Moses and says, I hear the noise of war. And as Moses, watch this close, as Moses got closer, he said, uh-uh. That's not the sound of victory. That's not the sound of defeat. They're singing. Watch this. The word singing in that verse, ready for this? Comes from the Hebrew word which means they're giving testimony. Y'all getting this? The idol that now was before them, they were worshiping as a testimony of their freedom. Moses discerned that. And when he came down, you guys can come up. When he came down, he looked at what was happening. And this is the first recorded message in the Bible of an anger management class. Thank you for getting that joke. Because he took the tablets and threw them down and broke them. And he said to the Israelites, look in verse 32, he says, I mean chapter 32, he says, who made this? I love Aaron's excuse. I love it. Ready? I don't know what happened, God. They brought me a bunch of gold and I threw it in the fire and poof, a calf came out. Don't you think God is laughing in heaven when we give our excuses to him? All right, well... I still love you. Moses saw the engraving tool. He saw that it took time and attention and allegiance to create something, something like this. And Moses said, uh-uh. Melted. And he melted it and he threw it in the ashes. This is what Moses did. I love what he did here. He took the ashes of the golden calf. He said he made them that was following it to drink it. And then he says to the rest of the people, choose, make a choice. Who are you going to serve? I want to close with this little story. When I was in seventh grade, let me get a little background music. It's always nice to have a little background. When I was in seventh grade, I started drinking and doing dope. This went through my eighth grade year. <clears throat> By the time I was in ninth and tenth grade, I was a full-blown alcoholic. And there was the one teacher, I kid you not, he taught pottery class. His name was Mr. Sandblast. I kid you not, I'm not making this up. That's like the ice cream man named Mr. Cone or something. But anyway, but Mr. Sandblast, later did I find out, find out he, he knew the Lord. And for some reason, 
I became his prayer. He saw something in me. I know he knew that I was drinking. I know he knew that. Now, I know this is hard to believe, but I was somewhat a cut-up in high school. And in this class, when you got clay everywhere and you have an acoustic ceiling, the creativity begins to happen going, I wonder how many I can get stuck up there. So one day, Mr. Sandblast saw me throwing clay up on the ceiling. So he said, see me after class. So I did. And he goes, for the next two weeks, you're going to be cleaning the ceiling. This is in the early 70s. It was an acoustic ceiling. You do the math. So I took this scraper and scraped all this clay out in a bucket. I was about ready to throw it away. He says, no, put some water in it. And come back and see me tomorrow. I came back tomorrow and the clay was all mangled. There were bits of plaster and debris and dust and grime inside this clay. And he showed me day after day how to knead it and form it and fashion it. And each time the debris out of the clay began to become disengaged from the clay itself. And you could see all the matter on your hands. And I washed my hands and started kneading and gay and more came out. And this went on for about a week or so. The clay looked brand new after this process was being fulfilled. I was about ready to do the same process that day, and Mr. Sambles said, no, do not use any water, just only your hands. And I started forming that clay over and over again, and I noticed something. The heat of my hands and the friction between my hands and the clay began to eliminate the fine particles that were inside the clay. The things that I couldn't see with a normal eye. And I turned to him and I said, this is amazing. How is this process happening? And he looked at me and he said this. It's the oil in the master's hands. If you allow it, we'll take away those things that should not be there. Folks, I don't know where you're at with the Lord right now. But I do know this, whatever you're struggling with in your life right now, whatever you are going back to the familiar with, God is saying to you, put my hand upon you. Come to me. I'm patient. I'm loving. I'm kind. Let me work in your life. But the first thing it takes is submission. I'm going to be up here. I'm going to have the prayer team come up. As Leah sings, if you need prayer this morning, come. Okay? Prayer team, come on, join me here. God bless you. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others with a life-changing message to Jesus by partnering with us today at mygracepoint.church/give. And thanks again for joining us on the My Grace Point podcast.